It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey, welcome to the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Along with uh, Mike Evans, I'm Mark Schlereth. Scott Dub, producer of the show. Uh, Millennial Ben helping out as well. Hey, I appreciate it, Millennial Ben. I want to thank our presenting sponsors, the great folks over at Sweet Sweat for all your exercise and um, and just uh, supplement needs. Sweet Sweat, check them out at sweetsweat.com. And then also... Superbook for America's Best Bet. Check out Superbook. Mike, how are you, buddy? I am doing well. I'm doing well. I, I've I, I love debates like these. Okay, all time debates. Was the Kyler Murray hail mary to De- DeAndre Hopkins the greatest hail mary ever? I don't know if it was the greatest hail mary ever. I think Aaron Rodgers threw has thrown a couple of them that that I put right up there. The fact that he scrambled one to his left. That's a, okay. He scrambled to his left was huge. The other thing is, he almost got sacked in the scramble to the left. Then he flirted with the sideline, and then he chucked 150 yards into DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, here's the thing that makes it even that much more amazing, is that uh, is that Bill O'Brien gave DeAndre Hopkins up for like, uh, I, I don't know, I think it was a case of Gatorade and um, four packs of coffee. That Like, that's what they traded him for. They traded him for next to nothing. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here prepping for my game between Cleveland and and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'm watching Laramie Tunsil get t- just spun like a turnstile by uh, Miles Garrett. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, they gave up two first rounders for that. Now, Laramie Tunsil, don't give me, he's a good player. He's a really good player. But come on, DeAndre Hopkins, it was, it, that was a phenomenal play on all accounts by Murray and by Hopkins. Murray is one of those guys, Mike, and we talk about this, one of those guys that plays above the X's and O's. Like, you can have everything done perfect, everything done right, and he'll scramble around like mighty might. Like, here I come to save the day. You know, and just he'll take off and do something exceptional, either with his feet, arm, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So I'm having a – well, you know this. So I was supposed to do one of their games, right? So I'm prepping to do Seattle, and I'm prepping to do um, the Arizona Cardinals. And so I call Steve Kime because he's a buddy of mine. He's the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals. And I'm like, all right, dude, just uh, give me some insight because what I'm watching on film is pretty exciting. And he said, let, let, let me tell you, Stink. He goes, when I went to study him, because it's my job to study him. He goes, at the time, you know, there were a bunch of defensive – there was a bunch of players that were like generational type players. And he goes, I had my eyes set on those guys, right? He goes, I went to study Kyler Murray. I didn't want to like Kyler Murray. We had just drafted Josh Rosen. I didn't want to like him. He goes, but you watched him in college, and the arm talent was, it just jumped off the tape. The arm talent, the athleticism, just the poise, the way he was just a a complete and total field general, jumped off, just, it jumped off the screen. He ended up firing the head coach that he hired the year earlier. He ended up trading the quarterback that he drafted ninth overall, created a new system, and ended up drafting Kyler Murray. Because it was so exceptional. He goes, you know this league. If you don't have one, you don't, you're don't. you not going to consistently be able to compete. And I looked at him on film, even though he was five foot nine or whatever he is, and said, I, I can't live without him. He is the guy. And he's proving Steve Kime. You know, Steve Kime said this to me. He goes, either I was just going to get fired or I was going to get executive of the year. Like, there's no in-between. And... Right now, I mean, what they're doing, there's a three-way tie in that division. I think it's six and three. It's it's amazing what they've done and what Kyler Murray's been able to do. Well, I was, I was going to ask you that. As you sort of re-handicap the NFC West, who do you like? You got three teams at six and three. Seattle, 
which just a a few weeks ago was playing for the was among the number one seeds in the NFC. They're now out of the playoff picture as we sit here right now. Russell Wilson admitting that he's got to stop turning the ball over. He's in a slump. So how do you handicap that division? Yeah, yeah. I I still believe in Seattle. I still believe that they're a, a out. God bless you. Thank you. I still believe they're an outstanding football team, an outstanding offense. Um, defensively, they're going to have to find a way to get stops. And that's been a big issue for them. Um, you know, just they, they have not they have not been able to consistently find a pass rush, Mike. And, you know, they even traded away for Carlos Dunlop. And um, so that's something they're going to have to rectify. They're going to have to find people. As a matter of fact, they've got this kid that played receiver and um, and tight end at LSU. They drafted him, and they developed him as a tight end. And then, I can't remember the kid's name off the top of my head, but then I go out there to do a game in Seattle, and I'm at Friday's practice, and this kid is taking reps at defensive end. So I asked, I asked, you know, uh, Pete Carroll about him, and Pete Carroll said, uh, you know, this, he goes, listen, the kid played some defensive snaps in high school, and we need somebody who can rush the passer. So about three weeks ago, we moved him over there after I looked at some of his high school defensive end tapes. And I'm like, excuse me? He goes, yeah, he played a couple <laughs> he played a couple of games at D-end in high school. And I looked at his high school tape, and, you know, it wasn't bad. And I'm like, are you, like, you're, you're kidding me, right? No, 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 no. He was, uh, he was pretty good. Uh, and I don't look, at, I'm looking at their roster right now, Mike. I don't even see, I don't even see them. I don't even see this kid on on their defensive roster right now. He probably went back to the practice squad. So in the game I did, he got four or five reps on defense to rush the passer. I mean, it just like that's how that's how desperate they were to find somebody who could actually pressure the opponent's quarterback. So yeah, they're kind of on the outside looking in. Russell Wilson, you know that offense, DK Metcalf, what they've done. I do believe they're a playoff team, and I do believe they'll rectify some of those. things. Let me clarify because I, I have to get used to the fact that it's seven teams making the playoffs right, right, right. in each conference. So they're actually they're the seventh team right now. But right. point of the matter is they've they've gone from being at the top of the standings in the NFC to to clinging. To a playoff spot. Well, they're the bottom of that division, right? Because they lost to the Rams yeah. and they lost to Arizona. Yeah. Now, in the AFC, the team that's currently holding down the last playoff spot, the Baltimore Ravens, who was it simply a matter of the weather in New England that 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 beat them, that neutralized Lamar Jackson? Or are we seeing, once again, something you've harped on, that if he's forced to play from behind – he becomes a very ordinary quarterback. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's the issue. If he's forced to play from behind, if he has to layer routes, if he has to play versus zone coverage, then it becomes cloudy for him. And like when they're running the snot out of the ball and they're constantly in third down and four, and there is, you know, there's multiple things they can do from that, and they have the ability to be you know, to, to be a dual threat offense where they can run the ball, they can set up play action, they can throw the ball. Yeah, he's going to get one-on-one coverage. He's going to get man-to-man. He's going to find that man-to-man guy in the seam or the crossing route or whatever it is, 
and he's going to be deadly accurate throwing the ball. But when he has to throw it into zones and layer routes, you know, have high-low combination type of it, just traditional passing game, and he's got to throw it over the top of a linebacker in front of a safety or whatever, you know, try to find that that hole, you know, uh, attack the curl flat defender, which most, you know, most offenses, that's what they're attacking, that curl flat guy, making him suck up and then throwing it over his head to a, to a dig behind it, that, that type of route combination. You know, a curl flat, a dig with a, uh, you know, dig with some kind of flat underneath it. Um, you know, whatever whatever it is, have a, you know, a smash route with a seam behind it, you know. Something of that nature, Mike. You know, or, or you know, they have a two-by-two two formation and they run the inside guy. Number two runs a go and number, uh, number one runs a dig behind it. But it's a layered route over the top of a linebacker in front of a safety type of thing. He's just, that's not where he excels. And... When teams get him in that position where they can play some zone, they can play um, with the lead, then he becomes a very that like that's his kryptonite. He becomes a very average player. You uh, buying the Patriots rebirth? Hey, if Cam Newton doesn't turn the ball over and the way they're running the ball right now, like they've got a they've got a chance. I, I mean, one thing here's what I know about the New England Patriots that's that I think is really interesting, like. Bill Belichick, one of his organizational mantras, Mike, is don't tell me what a guy can't do. Tell me what he can do, and let me put him in a position to succeed. I think this is the thing that makes the New England Patriots intriguing to me is most organizations are worried about what a guy isn't as opposed to what he is. And that's a this is a life lesson, by the way. You know, whether you operate a business, whatever the case may be, Focusing on what they are as opposed, you know, it's focusing the glass half full as opposed to half empty type of thing. Focus on what somebody can do and then put that person in a position to succeed. You know, and and it's, it's a fascinating case study. And one thing that the Patriots do better than anybody else is really discover what that guy is. And then they work hard to develop that guy, to lean on his strengths, but develop his weaknesses. And then they put him in positions to succeed. They don't ask him to do things that he's not capable of doing. So I think from a developmental standpoint, what you have seen over the years with the New England Patriots is over the course of the season, that's a team that always gets better. Every week they get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And by the end of the season, you're like, hey, look at this. They're 10 and 6. Hey, they're 12 and 4. They're, you know, 11 and 5, whatever it is. And that's been pretty darn consistent with them over the course of, of Bill Belichick's tenure. You know, you, you just got done working the Saints this past week. Are, are we going to see it again? Is Jameis Winston going to be this year's Teddy Bridgewater? Being able to step in for an injured Drew Brees and, you know, keep the ship afloat until Brees gets back. Yeah, they're interesting. There was a little bit of uh, confusion last week when Drew Brees couldn't make, you know, couldn't answer the bell in the second half. They had to burn some timeouts because – you know, the, the plays didn't get in or or they didn't understand them, whatever. Um, but in that offense, you know, that offense is not a push it down the middle of football offense right now. Not with Drew Brees. They are very adept at possessing the ball with the underneath routes. They run the ball better than people think. You know, at the end of the day, you look at their, their end line stats and they always have 100 yards rushing. And you're like, how did that happen? It's, it's because they pick you apart underneath. And they loosen you up, and then at the end, when they get a lead, they just step on you. 
and they run the ball, and, and they do it a little bit. You know, traditionally, it was let's run the ball, run the ball, possess the clock, now let's open up the passing game. They're more about let's throw it short, throw it short, throw it short, throw it short. Now let's let's implement our running game a little bit, and they possess it well. It'll be interesting to see if Jameis can, you know, get away from his propensity to shove it down in the middle of a team meeting, you know, because that's, that's his big thing. Like, I, there's no window I don't think I can throw it into. And so, you know, I saw him take some of the underneath stuff uh, on Sunday. Um, he's going to have to be more efficient than he was on Sunday. But I, I, think that, I think that Jameis will thrive. And here's the other thing. There's going to be enough of a mixture with Taysom Hill because that guy is he's a, that guy's a specimen. He's a special player, Mike. You know, it's, it's interesting because as I was doing the game, and I had mentioned this on air, it reminded me of when my son was playing college baseball. And the rage back in in my son's day was Buster Posey playing for Florida State. And if you remember Buster Posey, there was a game where Buster Posey played nine positions on defense. He played every position. He caught, he played first, he played second, third, short. He played, you know, he pitched, he played every position in the outfield. And it, it was just a really cool thing. And, you know, he can do them all well. Like, when you watch Taysom Hill, he can play X, he can play Z, he could he plays most of the time F receiver, um, he can play the U tight end, he can play the Y tight end, he can play fullback, he can play tailback, he can play quarterback. And a day in the life of Taysom Hill, like, he shows up, he's in special teams meetings, then they move him to the quarterback meetings, and they move him to the wide receiver meetings, you know, then he goes in and dabbles in the running back meeting. Like, he's all over the place. So he is this true Swiss Army knife, and he gets defense, like, you know, you spend he spends fifteen percent or twenty percent of the time on the field. So seventy five percent of the time, you don't have to deal with him, right? But as a defensive coordinator, you spend fifty percent of your time in practice going, "What if they give him here? What if they do this?" And so there's there's you know a good twenty five percent swing where you're not working on the shit you know you're going to see because you're worried about the shit that you might see, right? And it, it's a unique, it's a unique proposition. The guy is, the guy is 240 pounds, runs a 4-4. He, he's punishes people. You know, it seems like every week we talk about, uh, you know, leading MVP candidates. What about coach of the year candidate right now? To me, it's a, a two horse race. It's either Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most quiet under the radar nine and oh start I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> covering the NFL. Or is it Brian Flores and and what's happening in Miami? They make the switch from Fitzmagic to, to Tua, and, and everyone's like, you just sunk your season. Right. Instead, Tua's gone 3-0, and and now you got the Dolphins who were a half game behind Buffalo for the AFC East lead. Isn't it crazy? And we were all, because they had just won, what, two games in a row with Fitzmagic, and he was playing well, and... And I honestly don't think it was a Brian Flores decision. I did a game like a week earlier, and Brian was like, hey, man, if he's my kid, he wouldn't play. He's not ready to play yet, you know, type of thing. It's not that he's not ready to play, but he just wanted to be cautious with him. And if you watched him play in the first game out, he wasn't very good. But, man, the kid has been the kid has been all that. I mean, he has been really fun to watch, and he's been really good. And, um I will tell you this about Brian Flores, man. When I when I sat down with Brian and talked to Brian, you know, we just get this overwhelming sense of of a guy that has the the pulse of his team. You know, it's not one of those typical, prototypical 
uh, Bill Belichick protégés, you know, it's not all secretive and, you know, under the cloak of uh, darkness, you know, type of thing. And you could tell that his players really respected him. And, you know, I always say this, the problem with most of those guys that roll into to being a coach after Bill Belichick is that you you pill you pick up all those Belichick kind of Belichickisms, if you will, and guys just assume that you're not you, right? You you're not you're not authentic. You're just trying to be baby Belichick, and I always worry about those guys because I think it's hard, Mike. I think that obviously when you're around that organization, you're going to draw your from your knowledge of that organization, and you're going to pick up some of those tendencies, right? And I'm not saying you have to you have to break them all because some of them are really good things, but you have to be authentic. Guys have to believe this is you, that you're the one that believes in this stuff, that you, it's not just, hey, back in New England, hey, you know, in New England we did this, or hey, man, you know, do your job. It's, And I don't get that sense from Brian Flores at all. As, as you talk to the players, man, Brian is his own man, and they respect the heck out of him, and they're playing that way. Although if you want to talk about – Belichick disciples. What about Joe Judge? Yeah, with the Giants. You you said this way back when, and said don't be surprised when it's all said and done that the Giants end up being the best team in the division. Now, then I think they went on and lost a couple, so right. that, that wasn't looking good. But now they've won two in a row. They're three and seven. I mean, let's not go crazy. But in that division, they right now look like the team that might have the late speed to win this thing. Yeah, and Joe Judge very much like Brian Flores, same type of thing. He is his own man. Mike, they had to figure out what they were and on, on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, there was a little bit of headbutting that went on between Joe Judge and offense coordinator um, Jason Garrett. But they had to figure out kind of what they were. And, you know, when Jason Garrett and I talked, I was like, hey, Jason, man, you just got to find, find one thing. Hang your hat on one thing. You know, we're just having this conversation about offense in general and my perspective on playing offensive line. Hang your hat on one thing and then build off that. You know, I mean, what can we do and what can we do well? Let's do that. And then let's do it from different formations or personnel groupings or motions or whatever. And then let's find the ancillary things that we can hang on that. You know, another run, like one run that we can can execute, one run that that plays off of that, um, a couple of play actions to play off of that. Find the one thing. And I came out of the week four matchup between the Giants and and the Rams, and they almost beat the Rams. And I was like, that team's a lot better than people give it credit for. And that's when I told you after week four, I think it was, I said, I think the Giants will win this division. And now they're starting to play pretty well. Um, Like you said, three and seven, but they got a chance, Mike. Yep. They they seriously got a chance. Well, we'll look forward to a a big weekend of uh, games coming up here a little bit later in the week and uh, our moneymaker picks, which just – the suck. We both suck right I, now. Yeah, we suck. You bad. suck more than me. But, I, yeah, but we, but we both, both suck. Suck. Yeah. suck bad. Hey, for everybody involved in the Sink Truth podcast, for our uh, great presenting sponsors, the people over at Sweet Sweat at SweetSweat.com. Check them out. Also at uh, Superbook, America's best bet. That's Superbook. Check it out. For everybody involved in the Sink Truth podcast, we appreciate you. We'll talk to you here again later in the week.